Morning, everybody. So this is the uh, this is the last week of the one service thing. You can probably tell why that's the case. So next week, if you're going to be around with us for a while, we'll be in two services. So it'll be a little bit easier to find a place if you came in a little more on Crested Butte time and weren't able to find a place up here. But uh, 8.30 and 10 o'clock, 8.30 and 10 o'clock. So we'll, hopefully you can make uh, either one of those. Come on in, you guys. Just make your way. Here's some seats up in here. Just... <clears throat> It's so good to have so many of y'all back with us. And I've met a few new people that are, are local folks that are um, new with us. We're just, I hope you feel just a warm embrace here and feel at home. Um, this is a place for people who are anywhere on their spiritual walk. And I promise you in this room, we have all of it from super mature believers to people who are just like, I'm not sure about this God thing. So um, just relax and enjoy and get, you know, feel the warmth of the people around you and enjoy the community that's here. Thanks for leading us this morning, you guys. Um, on Thursday morning, I woke up. I had absolutely no voice, like zero. Like, I had, I've never had that happen. So I was like whispering. I had to go make a couple trips to the store in Gunnison. I was like, hey, um, you probably can't hear me. So I'm getting real close to the people, and then they want to lower their voice too. <clears throat> I've never had this experience, but pe- when you start whispering, pe- everyone goes to the same level. It's really funny. Try it sometime. Uh, but I was eating uh, breakfast with some friends who who um, have never been here with me before. And uh, they're like, we'll come help you on Sunday morning. And we'll like write out everything that you're trying to say. And then we'll do like a, you know, we'll play a game with it. We'll only get a few words out. But anyway, uh, fortunately, things are at least a little bit better this morning. So we're we're finishing this series. We have two weeks left that we've been in. Uh, we're calling Running with Giants, and we're looking at characters from the Hebrew Scripture from the Old Testament that um, that we can identify with, learn from, see how they wrestled with the struggles that they had, and how God interacted with them, and, and see what we can take away from that. So we're wrapping that up. Today we're going to look at Daniel. Pretty excited about that. Next week is Nehemiah, and that's going to close it out. <clears throat> but uh, after that, when... Uh, it's right there at the end of June. We'll start another series for the summer. And we're going to get back into uh, looking at the life of Jesus. And this last year in the summer, we looked at the life of Jesus as he interacted with individuals. Situations happened, and then he, he had this one-on-one with somebody. Well, this time we're going to look at Jesus as he interacts in the face of large crowds. Like what happens when he is interacting with a bigger scene than just one? And it's going to learn from him there. And so I'm pretty excited to get back to, we've looked at all kinds of different things through the year, but just to look at Jesus. So that's coming, not next week, but the week after. And we'll do about 10 weeks on that. So uh, Daniel, we're going to show you some verses. We're going to be looking at mostly chapters one through six and and some pieces in there. If you have your Bible, you can start looking for that passage. The thing that I see and want to share with you about Daniel today is this, when you read his story, it is amazing how Daniel trusts God in darkness. No matter what happens to Daniel, there is this relationship with God that is the bedrock of, what, of his life. And so what I want to do is, is describe that to you. And what I'm hoping is that we, we kind of like, it's almost like skimming a stone off of the top of his life because there's so much in there. 
But as we, as we go across the top of the water, perhaps you'll be able to be inspired like I have been by this guy and, the, and the, the fact that he lived in such a dark time and his life had such um, her, uh, horrendous things happen in it, but yet he continued to trust God in those dark places. So I want to show you what that darkness looked like. We're going to, first thing we'll do is, is look at the darkness that he existed in. What was his life like? Because I feel like it's important to set that stage for us. And then the next thing that we'll look at is the, Flat out, this guy had some courage. He was a courageous person, and we can. I'm, I'm inspired by this, and I hope you will be too. And then, looking at what Daniel understood as success in his relationship with God, and what happened to him in his life is is the end. And I hope that you will be able to take away um, some really deep truth about that. And I'll explain that to you in a moment. <clears throat> If you aren't a believer, if you're just wondering why well, I don't know about this God thing, and we're, we're in the time in the Bible that's before Jesus has arrived on the scene, there are, there are principles about Daniel's life that you can be inspired by. If you are a believer, if you're someone who's crossed the line of faith and you know Jesus and you know some of these songs we sang make sense to you, uh, then there is, there is a much bigger picture of walking with him and what God is doing in, the, in your life, my life, this community's life, in the world, in this long-term thing that he has going that you will, you will be able to engage with around what Daniel, the way Daniel is engaging with God. So let me encourage you, wherever you are, uh, it, I guess I'll just see this by saying it wouldn't be a bad idea to consider what you could, what what it is that is dark in your world that's hard for you. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's something personal you're wrestling with. Maybe it's a job or people at work or um, family, I mean, your, your spouse or potential spouse, all of those things. It could be that you're concerned by bigger issues in the town or in your town, glo- just the global darkness that we seem to see, you know, in the States and beyond wherever it is that the darkness seems to impede on you, I think that that's where the truth of Daniel's life can engage. So let's just, maybe I could just see that. I hate to be too negative to start off, but just having said that, um, put that out there. So the darkness that was uh, this life that Daniel experienced. Uh, Let me read to you what happens. This is from Daniel 1 and the very first part of the the whole book. Daniel is uh, a guy who has status in his community. He's uh, respected. He's intelligent. He's got a big future. He's a young man. And his nation is attacked by Babylon. So that's where we pick it up. In the third year of the reign, there's some big words in here, uh, of Jehoiakim. So this is the king of Judah. Nebuchadnezzar, who you've probably heard of, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. In other words, starved it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And and Nebuchadnezzar brought those things to the land of Shinar. That's not like the middle of Texas, not Shinar, but Shinar. Hey, thanks. <laughs> you can tell it. It's, I've probably got 20 minutes left. 
done. To the house of his God, Nebuchadnezzar took the things of the temple of God to his own temple, the temple of, of his own gods, into that treasury. And the king commanded, here's another one, Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, the one who served him, to bring some of the young people of Israel, both royal family and nobility, youth without blemish, good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, to serve in it, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. That's that, that would be that their nation. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that he ate and wine that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king, be in the service of the king. Now, one thing you probably know, whether you have any Bible background or not, is that Babylon is, is kind of the epitome of bad things in the Bible. So often throughout history, throughout the scripture, you'll see a reference to Babylon and to that to that nation, and it becomes kind of a type for all things bad, all things against the one true God. And there were good reasons for that. But that's something we kind of all understand about this, this nation that he was taken to. But there's something that this king does and these kings did was they would do the thing that would be ultimately disrespectful to the people that they were coming after. So he took the good things of the temple of God and he pulled them out and he put them in the temple of gods. Now, this is something that is not going to be looked upon. This is very discouraging to the people of Israel. Like if somebody came to the United States, you would never think of this even happening. And of course, they didn't think so either. They were the nation of God and took, went to the National Archives and took the Constitution, like the paper, and took it away. It would, it would be disheartening to us. Or you, know, you can think of your, your icon or in our town, you know, came and if they could take the mountain away, just took it away, the thing that was in the middle of it. And then last couple of weeks ago, we had a graduation of our seniors. A lot of you guys were there, our seniors in town, and it was a pretty amazing time. You, I, I didn't go to it this year, but I heard the stories about the incredible kids that are coming out of our community. It would be like they took the best and pulled them out. It would be disheartening and crushing to us to have that kind of thing happen. And that's what they're doing to these people. And and uh, so when you hear that they're going to be trained for three years, it, it doesn't sound really like maybe that's that, that bad of a thing. I mean, they're going to go to the Ivy League schools of Babylon. But the thing is that the, this is another slap in the face to the, the people of, of Israel because, like I said, their culture and their religion was all against everything that the one true God stood for multiple gods, and, and really Babylon is associated with a very satanic sort of um, idea. And so when, uh, when they get taken there, they're going to be trained to be uh, sorcerers. So it's hard for us to get in touch with that in, in our world today, but this was devastating to them. So they're not actually moving into a place of of anything positive, but they're moving into a place where they're going to suffer and families are just ripped apart. They t- and they're going to take slaves as well. So they're going to take working people and the top of the class and they're going <clears> to <throat> devastate the community that they left behind. And then uh, if you know the story, I didn't read this part. Maybe, do we read this? That David gets renamed. 
David gets a new name. And he call, they call him, I mean, Daniel gets a new name, uh, Belteshazzar. So he goes from being called uh, God is judge, that's what Daniel means, to prince of Satan. I don't know. <laughs> So there are, there are storms in Daniel's life that are beginning to just rise up that are just uh, hard for us to get our minds around, but they're so dark. The, the times were so dark for the people and for Daniel that I feel like when we look at them, it's important for us to say, okay, yes, I'm wrestling with some deep and hard things. Can I relate to Daniel and how he deals with it? And so I'm, I'm trying to set us up for the answer being yes. I can relate to this guy because he's been in this place for 70 years, his life, over 70 years, he experiences just continuous life-threatening things that are devastating and scary, and, uh, but continually he relies on God regardless of what the outcome is going to be. There's this trust in the darkness that is uh, uh, very inspiring. So what he does, this is the thing about Daniel, is this courage that he displays in each of these situations. I'm going to talk about one little slice of a place where he has incredible courage. Nebuchadnezzar uh, is a king who has some dreams. And he has, uh, he has two major dreams that Daniel is involved with in some way or another. So Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And what he does is he says, I want my magicians, and there's some hundred and something magicians or sorcerers, not only to interpret the dream, but I'm not going to tell you what the dream is. You have to tell me what the dream is. So fairly challenging, you know. It was not like, hey, guess my age or my weight, you know. It was, hey, tell me my entire dream and then tell me what it means. Well, what they said to him was, hey, man, nobody has, has ever, no king has ever asked for anything like that before. Well, I started thinking about that. that. That probably padded his ego. You're so incredible. It was what he was taking. Nobody has ever asked for that. Well, <clears throat> so what he does is he, um, he says, since you guys can't do this, then I'm going to put all of you to death. And it was a very capricious commu- uh, uh, society that they lived in, and he could just have that done as king. So Daniel gets word of this, and Daniel is on the outskirts, right on the beginning of being one of these people who is one of the sorcerers, one of the people who's considered uh, one who can counsel the king. So here's what Daniel does. He goes to the king's helper, this eunuch, and he, he says to him, can I have an appointment with the king to tell him what the dream means? Now, Daniel doesn't know what the dream is. He doesn't know what the dream means. But he knows his life's on the line. He knows everybody's life's on the line. And he, put, he goes all in. He's not going to wait around. He, with absolute courage, goes all in and says, let me have an appointment with the king. So they set it up for the next day. And so Daniel then goes home, and he gathers his friends together, the ones that were brought from uh, Judah with him. And he says, guys, we're having a prayer party. And we've got to get busy. So they get around and they pray like crazy. They pray and pray. <clears throat> and they pray that God would reveal the dream and the interpretation. And God 
gives Daniel, whenever he falls asleep or in that evening, he gives him this vision. Daniel has a vision of what this whole thing is. But here's the thing. There's still courage involved because the news, what the, trans, the, uh, the interpretation is, is that it's really bad news for the kingdom of Babylon. So he's already going to risk it and throw it out there that, is this the dream? But then on the other hand, he's going to tell him really bad news. And I just don't feel like this is the kind of person you want to give bad news to. Like your kingdom's going to end and you're going to fall apart. But he does. Look at uh, Daniel 2. This is kind of the, this is where it's about to tee off. Daniel 2.26. So Daniel's before the king. And the king declared to Daniel, whose name was prince of Satan, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Okay, this is pretty cool. And Daniel answered the king and he said, no wise men, no enchanters, no magicians or astrologers can show the king the mystery that he has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries This is absolutely offensive to this king, by the way. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in his latter days. In other words, I'm going to tell you what you saw in your dream, which is your latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. That's some courage. Now, I don't know what your situation is, what where you're thinking about the darkness that you've got to interact with. But there's this courage that he goes in there based on his trust in God. It's fabulous. It doesn't mean that um, God may have given him the wrong interpretation, but he, but what we see in other parts of the story is that Daniel's willing to, to trust God, even if he doesn't know what the results are going to be. He has courage in that space. Um, Daniel gives him the bad news, and if you look at 2.47, here was the king's answer. Just to, We're not going to talk about what the whole dream was, but it was bad news. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of, Lord, of, Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. <clears throat> In Daniel's life, there are like what you could call God-sized problems that continue to come his way. Things that he cannot, everything is out of control. A friend of mine was telling me, he saw a t-shirt that said, hey, relax, you know, nobody has control. But, so we all feel that, but but Daniel has these life-threatening situations. He absolutely has to depend on God for the solution. And I feel like when I look at my life, that even though my problems in contrast are just minor, they're not anywhere near as acute as this, I kind of move between one crisis and another crisis, you know? And in one situation, and, and it's almost like I wait until the very last minute to truly trust God for the, the answer that only he can bring. And I just continually do that and learn that lesson over and over. But Daniel, right from the beginning, in this first story that we read, does that very thing. He brings this God-sized thing out, and God provides, in this case, this miraculous solution. 
So I just, I'm going to say, I want that. I want that kind of thing that he has. When I face these dark situations, things that I can't handle, uh, that I'm trusting him and moving forward courageously. But then I have to ask myself, well, why does Daniel get these big miraculous answers and I'm not feeling like I'm get, I've got a book of great miraculous answers in my life. Are the problems that are coming up, I just am not seeing that they're going to be answered miraculously like that. Anybody relate to that? You're, wait, wait, why are you showing up there? Why do I read this in the Bible and then nothing happens here? What's going on? So he did get some pretty public and pretty powerful answers from God, things that were, are changing our lives even today. But you have to remember, not all of his prayers were answered. We have these episodes that we see big things done. But do you think he was saying, God, please don't let them take me from my home? Taken. God, please give me some way to get back to my home. Please protect my my nation, my, my people, my city. God, show yourself to them so that we have our own place again. Do you think that he prayed that? I guarantee he did. And and these are very, very personal, deep things. You know, I almost feel like when he offered himself to the king and said, I've got the answer, that to him it was like, well, I don't really care if I get killed. I think I might be there because I'm so devastated by what's happening. I'm now a sorcerer in this kingdom that I've always just been absolutely terrified of. His life... His life was full of suffering. And by the way, he is a eunuch now. He, has, he can never have children. He's absolutely his whole life in the service of the king. That's harsh stuff. So as God does do these amazing things. And I think if we look back at our lives or even look forward to what God's going to do, that we'll see that he is doing amazing things with us. But we can't, sort of pull it out and say, well, why God won't you do that for me when you do it for him? Because he had incredible suffering in his life that we need to be sure that we associate with. Well, here's the thing. Uh, let me, let me uh, talk about what it is that is his new understanding of success. It wasn't new for him. It's new for me. <laughs> for him, a successful answer to prayer was what benefited God. Okay. So we think, well, success is that you survived or success is that this, ha- you know, that you won. Because to us, winning is everything. It was, that was everything to them. But to Daniel, and this is why he seems to be so calm through all of these scenarios that he goes through, if you know any of his story, is that he recognized the sovereignty of God the whole way and he accepted whatever God was going to do with humility. I want to share with you how, one place that we can see it, and it's throughout the whole, uh, the whole first several chapters of the book. This is from uh, chapter 2, verse 20. And this is where he's praying after he has had the answer. He's seen the vision of what the king saw. It's after that, but before he's spoken to the king. We're just going to highlight a couple of places. This is 220. 
Blessed be the name of God. He's speaking this to God forever and ever. He's saying, God, you are eternal. You are permanent and never changing. And if you notice, that's also what the king said. Okay, this is critical. To whom, you are the God to whom belongs wisdom and, wisdom and might. All knowledge belongs to you. It's shared from you to others, to us. So he's, he's identifying who God is. All wisdom, all uh, Wisdom and might, all power belongs to you. He or you change the times and seasons. Nature is under you. Do you see how he's setting up who God is? Why he can trust him? You remove kings and set up kings. The principalities of the world, the rulers, the presidents, everything that we see going on, he is over all of those things, no matter how dark they seem. Absolutely. He gives, he hands out the wisdom that belongs to him to wise and not in knowledge to the to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals hidden things. He is the one who disperses all of this, this wisdom. A couple more things about it. And light dwells in him. There is no darkness. Excuse me. He knows what is in the darkness. He is not darkness, but he knows what is in the darkness. This is super critical theological stuff for us to understand when we're wrestling through life. And the light dwells in him. All light, goodness, comes from him. To you, O God and my fathers, I give thanks and praise. It's like we did this morning. For you have given me, and here's where the very last part he says, because you answered this prayer, I see this and I'm reminded of how good you are. You have given me wisdom and might, and have made known to me what I asked of you. For you have made known the king's matter. See, success for Daniel was belonging to this God. That's different than the success that I'm praying for. Yeah, I lay out my specific request. I have this situation, this even a huge thing that's going on in my life or the world. But it's all subordinate to God, and I understand that. Because here's the thing. God is in the business of redeeming everything, bringing goodness to everything. It's a long-term thing. In fact, at the end of Daniel's life, he goes through all of this stuff. At the very end, he goes, God, what's the point? What am I supposed to do now? And God just says, keep doing what you're doing because you're, you're a part of my plan. He's never gonna go home. He was gonna die in that kingdom, but God continues to use him in that place because he is, a, he is a part of what God is doing, not trying to have his own thing done. And God is bringing goodness. God is redeeming and correcting. This is, this is, the, this is kind of the, the, the light behind the gospel that he is always redeeming. And I'll end with this. This is the thing about Daniel is, some of you all probably know he's a, he's a prophet, He's a guy who God shows a lot about the future. Well, the first, this thing that, this dream that he interprets, that this king has had, is a vision of the end, eventual redemption that God is gonna bring, the making right of all the wrong. He says, you know what, king, you have seen yourself and set yourself up as the top of the top. 
You think you're everything and you think you rule everything. But your kingdom is going to steadily degrade. The kingdoms of the world that are against God will steadily degrade. And one day, he will make it right. And all of these things that are against God will collapse. And it will be redeemed. And he, what he's doing is he's looking forward to seeing the time that Jesus will arrive to be redemption, to make things right. And he, Daniel has this huge vision later on and he's looking beyond Jesus to when all things will be made right because of what Jesus does. So here's, here it is. Daniel knows the end. He knows the end of the story. It's like watching a hockey game. You already know the story, you know? or the football game, and you know they throw a Hail Mary from the one-yard line on the other end with six seconds left and win the game. But you know it, and so you're confident. You're not sweating it while your friends are worried in the room. Daniel knows the end. He knows that God is going to redeem. And because he is subservient to what God is doing, he, is, he humbly lays his requests out to this God that we just described in his prayer. He is He is okay. In the darkest situation. So I'm going to close by praying and just I'm going to ask God that He will help us to see that, that we do know the end, that He is making all things right, and that we can trust Him in whatever darkness that we might face. Lord, You are good. Lord, I, I'm inspired by the prayer that, uh, that Daniel shares <clears throat> with us. God, He, uh, he reminds us of all of the, your power and might and glory and worthiness and goodness and the light is in you and you are making all things right. And I pray, God, for whatever scenarios that we're facing, whatever keeps us up at night, Lord, that we would be like him, that we would talk to you about who you are first and remind, to remind ourselves of our place. That we would humbly come before you and submit what we have to who you are and find success in, in what and who you are and what you are doing and not what we want. So God, uh, guide us, let us be inspired by the life of this courageous man. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys have a great week. If you can stay with us, anybody, we'd love to have you join us in about five minutes to talk about what's going on. It'll be joyful. So.